Everybody, 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 drop your box. Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I am Evan Ross Katz. Evan is beaming in live from London, <laughs> live from the O2, to give his yeah. hot takes on Survivor 44, Episode 3, Sneaky Little Snake. We couldn't do it without Evan. So, uh, to be here. what'd you think? Well, first of all, I want to apologize about my audio quality. I could not uh, bring my microphone over it's to understandable. London. So if I don't sound as crisp and clean as you are accustomed to, I apologize. What do I think? Well, this was certainly an interesting episode, especially uh, I watched it this morning. So unfortunately, I got spoiled on who went home, which I initially was like angry about, but it actually really colored my experience of the episode, not in a good or bad way, but like the girls are talking on social media. Like there is a really... Um, there's just a lot of conversation about this season that I, d- I did not see in the last couple of seasons. And I find that like really exciting. I like am very invested in um, what's going on. And I have to say, like you and I were texting this morning and I was like, I feel like the super fans are starting to turn on their beloved survivor. Yeah. In um, yeah. <laughs> really coming from some unexpected places, like we're getting criticisms from people that I've sort of relied on as far as having like rose colored spectacles on at all times. I definitely think there was a lot to enjoy within this episode. I still think this is like a superb cast. I think that there's a bummer around who went home. Um, It sort of reminds me like when Lydia went home. Um, Was that last season or 42? 42. 42, yeah. So like when Lydia went home where you're like, you have this person that you love outside of the show and then they're on the show and you're like, I can't wait to see how this turns out. And then it turns out as it did. And obviously I know we'll get into it. A lot of conversations around uh, women, early boots in the modern era of the show. Um, But I did think on the whole, it was like a ridiculously entertaining episode and I still feel really high on this season, but I definitely think that there are some things for us to get into. Um, How did you feel about it? Yeah, I felt like pre-immunity challenge, I thought it was a really solid episode. And I was really enjoying the content we were getting from camp. I thought it was really fun. The Jamie eating the worms and getting the rest of her tribe to eat the worms, a classic challenge that Jamie brought back. And then there was, you know, the stuff with Kane singing Oh Canada, like who saw that coming on Survivor? Uh, Even if he got all the words wrong. And... (laughs) (laughs) And I think just the development of Franny and Matt as a duo, I think there was fun stuff with Danny kind of becoming a Tony-esque figure, eating the paper, Uh, Danny looking hot, Danny's hot. Yeah. And so there was really fun stuff. And then the immunity challenge happened where once again, and we discussed this last week, that Claire is able to sit out again despite it being back-to-back challenges but because they classify back-to-back as being in a cycle but when you're in a cycle and there's only one challenge does that even make sense uh jeff probst got into that on his podcast uh last night so a little bit to say about that and from there on out trash (laughs) just as i suspected trash 
because once again, so this season, every tribe who has gone to tribal council, the first vote out was a woman. And this is becoming a trend in the new era. And I think that there's reasons why. So we have three for three women going home in Survivor 44. Uh, of course, we did lose Bruce, but that was a medevac. I think that does not count. And then looking more broadly at the new era, so there's been, I, th I think, something like 10 out of the 12, if I'm to take Dalton Ross's, Ross's stats as fact, 10 out of the 12 first boots from a tribe in the new era have been women. But more broadly, looking at the people who have gone home pre-jury, because now the merge is kind of like a gray area with the earning the merge. So we've had 23 people voted out pre-jury. 15 of those 23 were women. And as a Reddit user pointed out in this thread I was reading today, even though we've had two female winners, Erica and Marianne, out of the three new era seasons that we've seen, both of them were pre-merged targets. And it's that their tribe didn't have to go to tribal council that kept them in the game until the merge. So, uh, you know, there's something to be said for like, yes, two out of three have been female winners. And so does, does it matter who we lose pre-merge? I would argue it does either way. Um, but even then, those players weren't longed for the game if their tribes went back to tribal council. So, uh, we've got an issue here. I think we've got a real issue and it's strange that Survivor is sticking to this format after seeing three seasons play out this way. Yes. I also think, I mean, and not to place the blame on the contestants, because I really think that that is not the root of the issue here, but, you know, similar to some of the conversations that were happening, particularly in season 41 and that carried over to 42 around race within the game and a consciousness around that from the players, I am continuously surprised. We had this happen at the beginning of 43 when we were like hopeful about this all-female alliance and then it just completely fell apart. I'm surprised there's not more of a consciousness from the women playing the game. Um, I understand that like this... You know, this is 44. They haven't seen 43. So there's really only two seasons to go off of. And to your point, it's like we had Erica winning. Um, but I still think that like I'm I want <laughs> the women to band together more and and say, like, hey, um, let's target these big guys and, and take them out because yes, they are indeed threats. But yeah, I think the most common thing I'm seeing online right now, and it's very much correct, which is that when you have these breakdowns of the three tribes. There's a lot more emphasis placed on physical strength within the challenges, especially when you look at the challenges that we've seen so far. Mm -hmm. And like, sure, you can say, well, what about the puzzles? But the puzzle's always a component to a larger challenge that begins as physical strength. And increasingly, you know, we've, we've talked about before on the podcast how we love the challenge where they hang from the beam, when they like, when they get to the top and just sort of hang yeah. on. And that's a challenge that favors women or just, or, or lightweight people in general because it's often easier for them to hang on. But we're not seeing challenge like, challenges like that. We're seeing a lot of things that are like 
you know, turn over this giant structure in the water. And so, yes, it's it's going to typically favor men and, and bigger men. Um, and it makes them harder to be voted out. So I, I and and I and again, I'm saying something that a lot of people are saying online right now, but your social prowess within the game sort of is void at the end of the day because it seems like Claire was in such a good position socially that people wanted her in the game. And the reason that she went home was because they were, you know, they were leaning towards wanting to keep physical strength. Um, so it sort of makes this like social experiment. It's sort of like, well, there's a big asterisk there, right? Because at the end of the day, if you're strong, you have a better chance of making it pre-merge. And it's a bummer. I, I am curious, seeing this overwhelming conversation happening within the fandom right now, how they begin to rethink. Do we know, is 45 shot? No. Okay, I'm curious if this fan reaction has any sort of bearing on how things move forward because these statistics are not good. Yeah, they're really bad, actually. And mind <laughs> you, mind you, remember coming into the new era of Survivor, the overwhelming disparity of male winners to female winners that thankfully that statistic has changed because of having these two recent female winners. But again, that is not a problem solved because this persistent issue remains. And then as you pointed out, the fact that those two women were targeted and just got were more or less lucky, um, mm -hmm. it's troubling. It's a real problem. And there's other contributing factors that are becoming systemic in the show, which like, yes, the, cha the challenges are a systemic problem in the show that they've created this challenge formula that they never stray from where you could bring back the food eating challenge. Jamie did it. Have them eat worms. I don't care what they eat, but that is a challenge where everybody is on an equal playing field. It comes down to how bad do you want it? Can you stomach it? Etc. There are other things they can do uh, in Australian Survivor. So you mentioned the pole hanging challenge. Australian Survivor will do those types of endurance challenges that we typically see post-merge as individual immunities with a whole tribe. And they'll say the last tribe with two remaining people on the pole wins. There are ways to do that in a pre-merge scenario. And I think that if they thought outside the box a little bit, it would give everybody a little bit more of an even playing field and put a target less on smaller women in the pre-merge. But then we have the problem of the overwhelming advantages and the loss of votes, which I think is a really significant problem because part of the reason I believe that Claire went home last night was that she had Franny and she had Matt who wanted to work with her. Matt didn't have a vote, so it kind of didn't matter. They The best they could do was hope that they could get Pittsburgh Heidi to come over and vote with them. But for her, it made no sense because she had an alliance. She had an alliance and that alliance is Danny and Danny is the one pitching Claire. So, And it's not even a knock against Danny because I get why he's pitching Claire, right? Like he has a point, but... The point is rooted in this system that is broken in the game. Yeah. So, yeah, and I think, yeah, yeah no. And, and I think the other thing too is I speculate that Jeff would think that it's super exciting having all these people not having votes because you never know what's going to happen. And I think this sort of speaks to the increasingly inorganic nature of the show. I mean, we haven't even yet talked about this sort of fake idol. And one thing that I know Fishback has been talking a lot about on Twitter and on um, his podcast is this, and this is th something that Fishback has taken issue with 
uh, over with, with some other of, of the other twists that have come up, and I'm actually like in support of Fishback on this, which is that like, and this is how people felt about the the time reversal with Erica. Mm-hmm. What did they call that? The the hourglass twist. The, yeah, whatever that was, which is that like it's just you. Could, I mean, and, you know, we can argue against this, but it's not fair when you have things in the game that players have no control over. And so basically, this is setting a precedent now moving forward to say that when someone from forty five onward finds an idol, they have no reason or no way to know whether or not it's real or fake. You know, like this person, these people that are finding these fake idols that have been planted. What are they to do? All they know is this game that they're super fans of. And in the past, when you find an idol, and again, they're getting the note. So like they have the assurance that it is real only to then be told it was fake. But if the game is outwit, outlast, outsmart, they're, they're in a, they're, that you, you can't use any of that skill set here, you know? Yeah. And I think that's one disappointing thing. In addition to these ongoing um, advantages and changes, which I think are their own issue, you have... Not only are there too many twists and advantages, but you have the twists and advantages that are coming up are just not fair. It's not going to be satisfying when someone plays what they think is a real idol only to be told it's fake. And I get why in Jeff Probst's mind, it's going to create this, you know, bombastic moment of television in which this person like has this realization. But if I were them, I'd be like, fuck this shit. Yeah, I could see another like Danny moment in 41 when Danny... behind the scenes lost it on jeff about the hourglass twist because it's not fair you told us one thing and it wasn't true you meant the other thing that like there there's a certain line that production shouldn't be crossing and i was originally like quite agnostic about giving them fake idols i thought it could be pretty fun and i do still think that there is an element of fun there but especially when because uh last episode i was talking about how carolyn got her idols mixed up, right? She was like, well, this coin is my idol and this string of beads is fake, where we had just seen on the other tribe that the string of beads was the real idol and the coin was fake. Well, it turns out, uh, well, Mike Bloom did some digging on this and did a tweet explaining that in each separate tribe, there are different real and fake idols so it's not even like the contestants can come together because i'm thinking about on the ratu tribe the orange tribe they were all present when that birdcage was open so they all know that there is both a real and fake idol that information can leak out either in a pre-merge situation where people are on the bench talking or once you get to the merge which is more likely that they share the information and say, hey, but in a similar way to in 43, that they shared the information that people were collecting beads for an idol and that sort of got out. So yeah, you can say, hey, just so you know, there was a real and fake idol. But even if they share that and they say, yeah, the fake idol is the coin and the real one is the beads, it's causing it would cause so much confusion because they're different on every camp that the players can't work out the twists that production has like forced upon them. And so I've changed from being agnostic on this twist to not liking it. It's one thing for a player to, like Matthew did in this episode, he found the rehidden immunity idol. Then he made a fake idol that looked like that. He used the paper, wrapped it up, right? And like that is player ingenuity. Uh, where if the production is doing that, it does seem like they're overstepping a boundary where they're purposely 
misleading their contestants to believe that they have one thing. And it, and it is, then it's going to blow up their game. Their game is destroyed, potentially. They could really get screwed over. Like if I have what I believe is an idol and I am have a big move to play and I'm happy for people to vote for me because I know that my one vote is going to be the only one that matters and I'm going into tribal with that plan based on this piece of paper and this string of beads that is actually f- all fake. How, what does that say about the social game of Survivor and, and outwitting and outlasting and outplaying people? Because I've done everything I was supposed to do based on you know, the fundamental structure of this game as I've understood it for 40 seasons. Is that fair? I don't think so. I think it comes down to like an advantage getting situation with Sari where it's like she played the perfect game. She could have won that season, but you've thrown all of these luck-based things into the game. And as a result, all of that hard work she did, which I think is the foundation of Survivor, was for nothing. Yes. And I, and I think like, it seems like the fandom is pretty aligned on everything that you just pointed out. Like, no, I, I'm not seeing anyone that's like for this. I think another thing to add to this though is the question of like, is this even good storytelling, right? Because it's, I'm trying to imagine again, I always come back to the fact that like, remember in 41 and I think 42 when Jeff had like the kids survivor little like special puzzle thing. Mm-hmm. And like, there's just been this clear effort to like ingratiate young people into the fandom and all these twists and turns and then not you know not knowing whether or not this is a fake idol or a real idol and then who knows about who thinks that the fake idol is real versus who actually knows that the fake idol is fake like there's just so much to this that like i as and again no one listening is like thinking i'm the smartest but like as someone with some some level of smarts i can't even keep yeah. up with what is real and what is fake. And so what do you do in situations like that? You divest yourself of interest, right? Because you're like, well, I can't keep up with this, so I'm not even going to try. It's like yeah. when we were talking about, um, uh, uh, what does Claire do? Venture capital, which yes. by the way, I've had many people point out, it's not venture capitalism, it is venture capital. I'm clear. So but that that's an example of something where it's like, I don't get this, so I'm not even going to try. Although, thank you, Claire, now, or thank you, excuse me, thank you, caller, I now understand what venture capital <laughs> is. Um, but I think with all of this stuff, it, I, I just, I worry that they're going to lose audience from the sheer fact of like it being so, at least in the case of the hourglass, though we didn't like it, we were clear on what it meant. Whereas this is just sort of like beyond the what is real, what is fake, who knows what. And then this is all pre-merge, mind you. So what happens once we get into the merge as far as like who is telling who about what? And then let's say let's say someone tells someone who has a fake idol that thinks it's real tells one of their allies. And then the other person comes up and says, no, it's actually fake. And then who are did they, which person do they believe? And then what what of that do they take and then tell someone else? I just feel like the telephone of all of this is going to get so confusing. Yeah, and it reminds me of that merge episode in forty three where we had to have somebody. I think it might have been Owen breaking down what everybody had, and then the second that production has to start listing a huge list on the screen of what people have and what's real and what's fake. We've gone too far. We have gone way too far from the simple game. And I'm not anti-advantage. I am not anti-idol. In fact, I am very pro-idol. 
in moderation. Uh, I'm a little anti-advantage, but that's just because I'm stuffy, but that doesn't matter. But like, there are ways that you can do this. I understand we don't want just a situation where a dominant alliance is playing a straightforward game all the way to the end. I get that that is boring and you have to shake things up, but there are ways to do that that we've already been tied to tried and tested uh, that we could just try that again. Like, I'm not saying go back to basics. I'm saying go back to when the show was good. So, and I don't think that that's like a wild, wild suggestion. So there's that. One other thing I wanted to talk about is the lack of a tribe swap, because that's getting a lot of discussion as well. Because when you have a situation with a tribe swap, it becomes a lot more advantageous to you to take out the strong players in the early pre-merge, right? So these people uh, that are bigger, stronger men, perhaps ex-NFL, there is an incentive because you don't know that in like three days from now, you're going to be on the same tribe as them. They could be working against you, right? So that's another thing that's missing. And for all of the talk in the new era about how dangerous and unpredictable it is, actually, it's been quite predictable for the players to the point where they know that in this three tribe format that Jeff has said he always wants small tribes because there's nowhere to hide and specifically nowhere for small women to hide that in those in that situation there is a way to play and it's quite straightforward and it's get rid of your weakest person which isn't interesting to watch right Whew. okay <laughs> but again i think something to point out here is it's like for anyone that's following the conversation online right now it's like People are turning. People that are usually loyalists are calling this out. Players themselves, past and present, are having strong feelings about this. So I'm wondering how the show maneuvers moving forward because I can see if, okay, so if you're a production, right? We know that they're like, you know, um, sort of like dinosaurs in terms of like how they think about these things. In their mind, the, the Survivor Diversity uh, Initiative came together and were loud enough that finally made an impact on production to say, okay, we are going to change the way that we cast this show, right? And now here we are and it's like, okay, but here's another problem. And I could see a world in which production is like, listen, if we can't like, we already made this change and now and now you're still not happy. And it's like, well, no, we're not because it's like by, by fixing one problem, uh, a problem that was also present persists even more now, right? Because as we've said, this, the, the gender bias of the show is nothing new. This is something many people, even people within the show, Sarah Lucina, Sophie, et cetera, have spoken about on the show. And yet I think that it's becoming evident here, particularly with the format changes, the way that women are even, even more disadvantaged now. I'm curious to see if these dinosaurs can say, can have the understanding of the perspective of the fandom to say, okay, how do we fix this? And I think it's a simple fix, which actually fixes another problem that we pointed out last week when we were saying that we don't love that people like Carson can create 3D renderings of challenges and practice them in advance. So it's like we fix two problems here. And also we breathe some fresh life into the show, change up the kind of challenges 
that are present on this show and make them not so based on physical strength. And to your point, bring back some classic challenges from the show that appease super fans like us who would be so excited to see things like the the food challenge brought back to the show. Yeah. It's like there's so many ways in which they win by fixing the challenges. Yeah. There's a couple of things that I would just regurgitate here that other people have said. So one, I think Rob said on Know-It-Alls that, you know, part of the point of this change in the casting initiative and the diversity initiative was to give more of an equal playing field to everybody. And we're finding out that that's not happening because of the other change, which is the three tribe, no swap change, right? So if you see that that's not working, it's easy to do a swap. Like, they love they used to love swabs. I was never a big fan of swabs. Now I'm seeing their value. Where I think that if you went after maybe the third vote, swapped three tribes into two tribes. I mean, ideally, I would say start at two tribes. And if you want to swap them, swap them. But I think a lot of our problems would be solved if we started at two tribes again. But you really want to you really want some you know wild first tribals. Fine, three tribe three three tribes of six. But then move it to two tribes so that some of those people who survive that far can sort of fade into the background and pull the strings from the background. Like some of these smaller women uh, who are not really being given a chance, especially in 43 and 44. Can I just add though, it's like, I I don't think you want a situation on episode three in which you have someone like Claire who is relying on one person's vote in order to stay in the game. I feel mm-hmm. like that is something that you want towards the penultimate episode in the season in which these bonds have really been forged and you have that person, that fulcrum there that is choosing between two people that they feel a sense of loyalty to. This just, I, I feel like I felt bad for Claire in that sense of like, and she knew it. She was like, she knew she wasn't getting her vote and she knew she was dead in the water and sure she played her shot in the dark, but it's like she had nowhere to go. And I feel like, Wait, you just made this point by saying that Jeff says that there's nowhere to hide. And it's like, yeah, but like there should be places to hide. Yeah, like that's, that might not that's, be a good thing. Yeah, that's not a good thing. It's not yeah. fun, especially when it's a player like Claire, who I think the majority of the fandom is rooting for to see her put in this position is just brutal. Yes. And it's so upsetting that it's Claire. And, you know, I I didn't feel this way about Helen because we didn't get to know Helen, right? She didn't give us anything, at least in the show, to latch on to. Claire was super interesting. She gave great confessionals. She was great with other people, great reaction shots. Like, it is a bad thing to lose somebody like Claire. And I understand some of that is circumstantial. But, you know, the fact that we're losing her, I I think that in a bigger tribe, she might have had a fighting chance. And then I want to say also about Maddie, the very first boot. Like, I watched all of her exit press. She's a fascinating person, and she had so, so much to give in this show. I truly think she could have been Angelina level in this cast. Like, she was so interesting, so funny, so sarcastic, uh, so off the cuff. I think you said in our cast assessment that she's the she was the least polished of the cast in a good way, and that really came out in what I did see after she was voted out of the show. So it's like these kinds of characters, like... Think about some of our favorite people, Parvati, Courtney, right? Like they 
probably might not be long for the game if they were in a three-tribe, six-person format like this. No, I mean, Courtney would be gone in an instant. Yeah. But again, it speaks to the fact that Courtney had social relationships that allowed her to stay in the game, and there's just nowhere to... The social game just doesn't weigh, weigh the way that it once did, and again, not to the benefit of the show. Now, that said, I do think that... Maddie and Claire are great examples of potential contenders for a second chances, but like it shouldn't have to come to that. Right. It's like, there are things we can do to circumvent this problem, but like, it's not to say that, you know, there's nowhere to go from here. Um, Also, this is a great time to bring up the fact that like, where's Ponderosa? There's a lot of people online talking right now being like, we want to see what's happening at Ponderosa. There are like all these players, there, beloved players that are going over there. Why aren't cameras up? Like, COVID's, you know, more or less under control. Um, Interesting that you bring this up. Very interesting timing that you bring this up. Because, well, one, you're right. Because typically in the pre-New Era seasons, the early boots would, they would collect a few at Ponderosa, but then they would send them on a trip. And it was just to keep them away from their hometown so that people didn't know like, oh, well, this person came back on this day, which means they're probably first or second out. Uh, So they would send them on a trip. They're not doing the trips anymore post-COVID. Originally, it made sense because travel restrictions were tight everywhere. Now they're not, but I think they realized, oh, we don't have have to spend thousands of dollars like shipping these people around the world. Like, we'll just keep them at Ponderosa. So, okay, that is what it is. But now that they're there... We could be filming them. And on our Australian Survivor recap this week, we were talking about their version of Ponderosa, which is called Jury Villa. There's been some incredible episodes of Jury Villa this season that are so fun, funny. I'm laughing. It's they're, they're filming hot guys showering. Like it's got everything you could possibly want. And Ricard was saying oh, you know, this really makes me miss Ponderosa. And he also said, he said, <laughs> he said, I, I am still under an NDA of sorts. I don't know how long it goes. He said, I think it's three years, but I will say it is our cast that was responsible for the end of Ponderosa and that he can't say more than that. But I will say, <laughs> because I'm not Ricard, uh, that there are rumors out there about why Ponderosa ended um they're on reddit i don't know that they're true or false but like you know i'm putting pieces together here and i think that it became a little bit of like an hr and managing issue of people and if i believe what i see on reddit like the guy who was producing ponderosa was fired and just never replaced which we've talked about in the past i think but um it's just funny timing because ricard was dropping hints over on our au recap so if anybody wants to hear that. <laughs> I just love that this show like gives them these NDAs and it's just, I don't know. I It's not that it's unprecedented, but it's just so, the lengths that this show goes to like <laughs> silence these contestants yeah. on a reality show that 5 million people watch it's truly like who cares? Who cares? Who like, cares? Yeah, the fact that like the cast the cast should be able to come and do press throughout the season. Totally. 100%. Like I was able to um I was able to interview Jinx Monsoon during the season of All Winners, which is a way more popular show than Survivor. Um no offense Survivor, but like 
Actually, I shouldn't say that. It depends on your metric. But yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying it's during the season I was able to talk with Jinx because I think that they finally realized that, you know, obviously there are some guardrails they put on the conversation, yeah. mind you, which is fine. I can understand that. But the fact that, like, so many of them are just barred from doing press or even talking about... I mean, I think the controversy you're alluding to, I can understand why that particular matter might be something that they don't want them speaking about. But just the... but. Again, I, I I just am the way in which, or even like we've done interviews with people postseason where like the network is on the line and it's just like, what do they think that we are going to ask yeah. that is going to just like, I don't know. I just think I, I find it all very strange, especially when I think other networks um, have relaxed these protocols over time in realizing that a lot of like the tea that can get spilled in these in these you know, moments can actually benefit the show because it creates fan interest. Remember when controversy was good? Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, there's no such thing as a bad headline, you know, uh, especially for a reality show. Like, this is this is the reality show. Like, we started trashy TV on this reality show with Sue Hogg's speech to Kelly Wigglesworth in season one. Let's keep that alive. There's, and it reminds me of last year, no, last year. Yeah, in 42, uh, in Omer's like exit deep dive with Rob Sesternino, he talked about how he didn't like Drea and how she played the game and used really personal things against people in the game. And CBS originally was okay with it. It goes out. And then they were like, wait, 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 wait. People started talking about it. And uh, mind you, Drea had just been awarded $50,000 from Sierra or whatever. And all these like damning things are coming out about her thanks to this Omer interview. And they forced Rob Sesternino to pull the episode, cut that part out of it, put it back up clean. And it's like, what? What? Who cares? If that's what happened from Omer's perspective, we're all smart enough to go, okay, also Omer lost the game, right? And like, there, there's game relations. Like, we can all d- discern and decide what is fact and what is fiction. Like, nobody's going to be coming attacking Drea. Like, it, it doesn't, it's like, it doesn't matter. And they're so careful about this, even to the point where, you know, the last time we had Parvati on, she shared all this stuff from Mike Renisha, like, overshared, perhaps. And, but it was fun. It's, Ancient history. It is literal ancient history in Survivor World uh, that was so funny and all done in jest and kind of like at the end of the interview, she was like, you guys, can you cut that stuff? And we were like, what are you afraid of? And she was like, just, just them, just, just them. And so we did cut it, but you know, they've, they've got this hold on players, both past and present. That is just wild. Uncage the beast. (laughs) Let the, monster, the, let the monster roam yeah. free. Now, wait, so just so I'm clear, the Drea that you're speaking about, that's Drea who who all of her uh, Instagram followers are real, right? It's that Drea? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I just can't. Yeah, I can't. 100% I can't. real. 100% real. Also, sorry, this is so random, but it just came to mind. Um, when Jeff is saying the fourth person voted out of Survivor 44, that's not true. Bruce Did wasn't voted fourth? out. He's 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 using the, the nomenclature of voted out and including mm. Bruce in that, but Bruce wasn't voted out. He should be saying the fourth person to leave or leave. Like, yeah. leave the game. 
Yeah, and I'm sorry, sure. but like if we're going to be this particular about coming on you guys, it's like if words matter the way that Survivor wants them to matter, then I think that that this should be a part of that. Yeah. I love Sean's making the face he makes when I say something that could be interpreted as problematic and he doesn't want to co-sign it, but he like is laughing. Just know Sean does not co-sign what I just said. There's not humor in what I said. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, guys, face. let's get, can we talk about some of the good okay, guys, things the or, because wait, wait, wait. Okay, guys. It's a joke. It's a okay. joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bit of comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh wow, I'm worked up. Um, but like having said all that, <laughs> like I did enjoy most of the episode. Like truly, no, I thought it was an entertaining episode, and I feel like again, like there's there's a lot of dynamics at play here, and even like fun things that like we don't know a ton about, but I'm curious to know more about. I'm gonna do the thing I do where I don't know someone's name. Um, so the woman who Claire was depending on her vote for, what is her name? She's your winner pick. Oh, my Pittsburgher. Pittsburgh Heidi. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So Pittsburgh. Yeah. Okay. Woo. Yes. Um. So Pittsburgh <laughs> Heidi mentions that she's closest with. Danny. Danny. Okay. News to me. But at yeah, the same truly. time, I'm kind of like, that's okay for it to be news to me. Because now it's like, that's something else for me to track moving forward. So I just feel like there's a lot of like dynamics going on right now. I did want to point out the fact that we have had which is a significant change from the past seasons, fewer moments of, uh, you know, sending people off to Shipwheel Island so you get fewer interactions between the tribes outside of the challenges. There are a few opportunities for tribes to like, and again, we said there's no swap here. Mm -hmm. So there's just more tribal like separation overall. But yeah, there's a ton of like different dynamics going on and curiosities that I have around like how people get along. Um, And I do think this is, this remains like a top tier cast um, on the whole, and I do feel like I have a, I mean, even if I don't know their names, I do feel like I have a sense of a lot of these <laughs> players and, and you know, how they exist within the game. Um, yeah, I mean, my biggest note for this episode was like, too little Carolyn, but I actually also feel like there's something to be said about withholding. Totally. And like, do, I like the fact that like, she had a big star turn last week. And she was definitely a little scaled back in this episode. But I actually think that just makes me want more Carolyn, which is sort of like the ideal formula. Can I uh, revisit a call out we did last week to ask people who they are reminded of when they look at Carolyn? And we did get some entries, and I'd like to play a few of them now, if you would oblige me. Oh, I'd love that. Hi, Sean and Evan. This is Ella. I'm calling from Texas. And Carolyn looks exactly like Shay from Dream Home Makeover, that Netflix like house design show. Uh, They have, like, negative similarities in terms of personality. Like, Shay would probably, like, be terrified that I'm making this reference. But I think that their faces look absolutely identical. I haven't catched Dream Home Makeover yet. We'll do a little... I'll do a carousel side-by-side of Mm. some of these entries. Yeah, I have to say, (laughs) Evan got a hold of the login for Drop Your Buffs. And (laughs) while he did do a hit post, for sure... (laughs) It's really making my head spin because sometimes I'll be like, I'll get this notification. It's like someone replied to your story. I'm like, what story? I didn't put a story. (laughs) Um, Oh, I do plan to go a little rogue because I have some other post ideas. Now, are you kosher with that or do you want? Oh, you can do whatever you want. Like, look, look at how you built up Evan Ross cats from the ground up. Do it for drop your buffs. (laughs) 
Okay. Um, I will say, though, I'm lucky in that I have these fabulous uh, templates for Photoshop that allow me... I'm really, really good with, like, a carousel or, like, a split image. And it was uh, funny because when this happened, I have that car- I have that exact template and I never use it because it's a very specific template. You get a full image on the top half and you get a, a three-divided image on the bottom half. And I was like, this is, like... I was like, now is my time. Yeah. It was good. It was good. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, let's go to the next one. Hi, this is Nicole from Los Angeles. And Carolyn reminds me of... Moira Rose from Schitt's Creek in The Crows Have Eyes 3, The Crowening. So is, I can ask a really basic question. Is Moira Rose an actress in Schitt's Creek? Um, I don't know. Uh, oh. I You could just hear the people listening to the podcast now being like, um, I don't think she's an actress, but I know that like she has that famous scene where she like does the ad for the red wine. Then what's The Crows so, Have Eyes 3, The Crowening? So I maybe she's an actress. Okay. Don't call in. We don't care. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to watch some episodes for work, and I just was like, this is... I just remember, like, how much my dad loved um, Shit's Creek, and that, uh, that like, I was just like, I, I don't know. There's something... I, I'm gonna... I'm gonna... I know people really don't... love it, and I want to let I know, them... But I know, but I want to let them love it. I know, like, and I don't want to judge yeah. people for loving a thing, and I am, and I don't love that about myself, and I'm working on it. <laughs> Uh, but you, as as we've dis- as has been discussed in this podcast before, I have Dan Levy trauma, so I can't watch it. Oh right. Okay. Hey Sean. Hey Evan. This is Mark from New York. My Carolyn comparison is a bit of a deep cut, but I'm going to assume you both were A and T M girlies back in the day. And there is a contestant on A and T M in the season where they went to China with this contestant named Heather. She was tall and pale with black hair, and everything about her just screams Carolyn. And if you don't remember, I'm talking about just YouTube her audition tape. All right, bye. I don't know if I saw the season they went to China. I don't know if I saw ANTM China. She's cycle nine. I was still tuning in. Interesting. Okay, she's, I'm going to be honest, bells aren't, aren't chiming for me, but we'll do, we'll do this side by side. Do the carousel. Heather Kuzmich. Kuzmich. Okay, got another one. Hi, it's Jules from San Francisco, and Carolyn reminds me of a Muppet. A Muppet. General, but true. Yeah. True. No, and we got, so. we got a text one as well that I want to read out. This is from James. He says, my answer for who Carolyn reminds me of is Kristen Wiig's character Sue on SNL, who really loves surprise parties. And this, I think, is the winning answer. Do you know Sue? I only know Sue Hawk. If you... <laughs> It's not far off. If imagine if Sue Hawk loved surprise parties, that would be it. Uh, if you look up this character, you'll be like, "Oh, this is lit- It's literally Carolyn. So, okay, thank you for all of those wonderful, wonderful answers. Okay, something else that I love here is that we're yeah we're just getting camp life and we're seeing people relate to each other. The fact that we're getting jam jam snoring content like we just have i feel like we haven't had that kind of stuff in a while where it's like how people grate on each other on the day-to-day and uh and yet they're you know we're we're friendly about it but there's almost like an underlying truth to it that is irritating i love that and i do have to point out i know i already mentioned kane singing oh canada but it's with wildly wrong lyrics, which is very interesting because there's currently a big controversy going on in Canada with the singer Julie Black, 
who I think is unknown outside of Canada. And she was at a hockey game, I want to say, possibly in the States, singing Oh Canada. And she specific, like she purposefully changed a word. The line is our home and native land. And she changed it to our home on native land. And big controversy. You know, don't touch a national anthem. Wow. The truckers come out of the woodwork. And I'm not talking about Sue Hawk, although she probably would. Um, but so then it's wild to see like three weeks or so after that controversy to see Kane singing with every single line different lyrics totally different lyrics and I don't know if it's because they have to because you know infamously they can't show songs because they couldn't possibly pay for royalties on these shows uh but like who do you you don't pay royalties for a national anthem do you like do they have to pay Justin Trudeau for that truly don't know who recently was i watching where they sang happy birthday oh the oscars at the oscars oh, yeah. for that guy's speech and they sang happy birthday and i was like i was curious about that happy birthday you do have to pay royalties for right so was the oscars paying royalties i think they can afford it i know but like if you're the per- it's just like oh i know it's an, it's an out-of-pocket like i didn't know, know that I mean, it's just interesting yeah I hate that. Like, but happy like, birthday is such a like, long song to sit through in those kind of moments. Oh, and it's the worst when not everyone knows the person's name. <laughs> yeah. As was the case with the Oscars, where it's like, what are we? It's like, you know, the third line is coming up, and it's like, happy birthday. You know? Yeah. And just like, I don't sing it. Like, I, don't, I don't sing it. I don't oh, want sorry, this episode pulled. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> oh, Canada. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's like funny here because Kane's getting a really good showing on, at least in the edit on this tribe, after being the person that was on the outs. Remember, he was the only person to cast uh, a vote, right, with Maddie. Uh, the, the last person left to cast a vote against Brandon um, that was uh, nullified by his idol. So, it, but it seems like he's come back in. I mean, they were all like loving his O Canada rendition. So there's that. But I feel like the bigger story from this is the relationship between Jamie and Matthew, who Jamie has surprised me as emerging as like a character because she is the multi-level marketing queen over on uh, Ratu. Yeah, I will say I didn't know who she was until this episode. Yeah. There was a new character that emerged for me. New character. And uh, like, I'm intrigued because she's eating the worms. Like, she, it's a little like over enthusiastic for what I, my personal taste is. Like, I would be more of a Maddie person if I had to uh-huh. choose between them. But I loved that she was eating the worms. And then, now- and then that Matthew used her love of eating the worms to be like, to lead her to the fake idol, to be like, look, mud. And that she's just going for it. Like she just seems up for it. Yeah, or down for it. <laughs> down in the mud. Uh, yeah, like let's touch down briefly. Plant daddy and plant lady. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Anything further to say about that? No. 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 <laughs> uh, it's, it, it, I think it's interesting. And like I think that I was talking some shit about Matthew in the first couple of weeks because I really didn't like that he used his shot in the dark in the first episode to abstain from voting basically to not pick a side right but actually it's I think it's kind of working out for him because he, his 
really ingratiating himself with everybody. He's found an idol. He's made a fake idol. Like he's been busy for a guy no, with one he's, arm. He's definitely giving main character, but like I'm just confused narratively with the arm because one minute he is in like screaming pain mid challenge. But then when they have to go and lift these heavy blocks and yeah. choose two players, suddenly he's one of the two people lifting these heavy blocks that Jam Jam made a point to point out the fact that Jam Jam carrying one alone, like the undercurrent of what he was saying was these are super heavy and I'm doing it by myself. So then you have all of a sudden, Maddie is his name? Matthew. Matthew. Ay, ay, ay. I'm in London, so I don't have the guide in front of me that I said I would have, but I'll have it for next time. <laughs> anyway, but then suddenly Matthew's just like, yeah, so I can't tell because, you know, it makes you think about the fact that last week they had the thing inserted, that weird moment with Jeff with Claire being like, you're sitting out again, are you sure? And with the Matthew thing, you can't help but feel like the arm is going to come into this yeah. later on because mm -hmm. they're making a point to like have that moment of him crying out in pain despite the fact that it had mm -hmm. no consequence within the challenge makes you think that they're setting something up around his arm. That's how I felt as well. Yeah, we could get we could have an issue with and that. And also, definitely. mind you too, coming back to like the tribe swap of it all, it's like, I don't know, he's someone that like it's just it's just this game. It's like someone like him who has an injured arm is not at all a target to go home. Like no one is thinking there's someone on your tribe who is like literally has like like is was in an accident that is in a sling and is not even worried that he might go home i think that says something about the current state of the game yeah it's like yeah, oh we don't true. need the injured guy with his arm in a sling let's get rid of a woman well to, yeah i mean to, to be fair the majority of votes were on the ex-nfl player in that first tribal which by the way the shoehorn backstory was so strange i mean they're yeah. always strange but like he was not a non-entity in the episode so it became so overt that because of his non-entity nest they were like let's make him an entity but it's like i will say this is something i've been thinking a lot about uh, but which by the way where are you at with survivor australia season one <laughs> i'm busy no this is relevant um I, could, I couldn't even tell you who the last person to go okay. was. I'm not even doing I'm really close anyway. to the end, but... Okay, fine. I just want to point out, for those of you that have seen it, this will make sense. If you haven't, I'll explain why I'm mentioning it. But there's a, a character named JL who is not a part of the show at all for, like, the first half of the season and then emerges and becomes a huge player for several episodes. And I really like that because... I feel like we talk a lot about like purple edit, which you could argue that like JL is completely purple edited until her timing comes. It makes me think a lot about Natalie Bolton in Micronesia where like Natalie is not on the show. Mm -hmm. And then when she's on the show, she is on the show. I like that. I don't feel like you need to like think about someone's overarching edit. It's like they emerge when they're meant to emerge. This is not an example of that. This was sort of like, if he's not present in the game right now from a strategic or social standpoint, then he shouldn't either. There's two things here. Either he shouldn't have been casted, which I'm not arguing that in this instance, or he'll emerge when he's meant to emerge. There are other people to focus on. I just think it's weird how they're like trying to like divvy out the edit at this point when it's like, let's focus on people that are making story happen and we'll get to those who aren't when we can and if, and if they emerge as players worth presenting. Yeah, but he's a pilot. He plays piano. He plays the he drums. Does. He does he magic tricks. He does magic.
He, he could, uh, even. he could do that little, that surfboard thing where you're like floating above the water. Oh, I love that. I would love to try that. It's scary though. I'd be scary. interested to try that too. What doesn't he do? Make story on Survivor. That's true. Okay. I was trying, uh, trying to find that too. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we could touch down on what's going on with the showman's Franny and Matt, they're planning a road trip. I don't know. It's a, it was a strange story for me because we have them still going off. You know, Claire said they had the, they're nerding out about Star Wars, whatever. And we have the rest of the four come together as an alliance back at camp. But uh, all of that came to nothing, really. Yeah, I love that moment with Franny when they came back from the challenge and she got in the water and I was just like craving her, like letting out like a primal scream. Um, <laughs> and it didn't pan out, but like I love that energy of like her just investment in the game to me. It's like Franny is like such an ideal person to cast on this show because she's like really true to herself, but like, but also like reacting like really strongly to something that I don't, I, I don't think at that point, she, I mean, was her reaction in your mind because she felt like she might be going home? No, I thought it was that she didn't want to be going to tribal. Right, okay, great, yeah. I love that level of emotion. Um, Bring it, babe. Um, But I feel like uh, that was one of, I guess, and again, maybe this is to the episode's credit, who's to say, but it's like, it seems so obvious, right? Four people versus two, they're going to tribal, which are the two? And then we get this sort of like, well, but you thought. Um, But yeah, I just... uh, I don't know. I'm invested in it. I want more of it, but I don't have a ton to say about it just yet. I'm kind of like, yeah. I'm, I'm, for me, it's more of a long game with the two of them. Yeah. But I don't think it's fair to say that, like, I think that they're trying to present this as, like, if you're in a showmance or, or whatever, like that it's uh, to your detriment. And again, this just makes me think about Tony um, and, is it Trish um, yeah. and Kagayan, who were like, there are like we've we've had so many instances of like people who are like so clearly in cahoots. Why are you laughing? Well, like, is are you suggesting that they had a showmance? No, no, no. I'm suggesting that they were like two peas in a pot. Like, okay, I'm just saying yeah. it's like being tightly aligned with someone doesn't it, like that can be totally fine. Like, it mm-hmm. really depends on how everybody else reacts to that. Um, but the idea that like because you're closely tied to someone, that's going to put a target on your back. I just don't think that's true. Trish for the traitor season two. I say. It's the snake in the grass to traders pipeline hmm. that I'm interested in. <laughs> because we need to have Janelle on there too, I think. Yes. Was the only one of that cast not to go on to the traders. Uh put uh put um our girl Claire on the Traders season two. Claire. The eliminated contestant. Uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not you pulling a me. <laughs> I was just, I was immediately picturing Claire from Steps for our two UK listeners, Claire from Steps, which who I would love to see on the Traders. She was great on Big Brother UK. Okay. Well, one other thing I want to mention here is that Matt of Franny and Matt has an idol because he found the key with a lot of help from Danny, found the key to the birdcage and retrieved the fake idol, the production made fake idol, because now we have Carolyn's holding a fake idol, doesn't know what to do with it yet. Matt now has the fake idol that was given to Danny. And Jamie has the fake idol that was made by Matthew. So there's a lot going on here. 
but uh, I did. I, it's not usually my style, but I did enjoy Danny in this episode, and I'm sure that part of it had to do with how cute he looked in his little glasses and with his shirt off. Um, but <laughs> the antics might get old, but right now they're I'm fine with it. And I do love that just everybody was searching for this key and Danny was literally like, put your hands in the roots, you know, and they still couldn't find it until until they did find it. Um, so so I enjoyed that. I loved Danny eating the note. Loved him eating the note. I liked the like laissez faire of it all, just being yeah. like, Yeah, like I'll eat it. Yeah. Was it necessary? Who's to say? <laughs> no. <laughs> Most would put it in the fire yeah, or in the that, ocean. Yeah. No, Danny was eating it. Well, you know, he just wanted to make sure that no one was going to... Although, someone might have made this joke. I was going to make it, but now I'm thinking maybe I saw this. But it's like he could worry that maybe... It may be dangerous for him to eat it because then he shits it out. And then Carolyn maybe, you know, when it comes to <laughs> merge time... <laughs> If you made that joke up, I'm really, really, really proud of well, you. Well, I know that I saw a Carolyn shit joke on Twitter earlier, and I don't think it was the one I just made, but I'm not bulletproof here. It could have been. Okay, okay. Possible. I just feel like there's still Carolyn shit. There's like jokes going around about Carolyn oh. finding things in shit. Yeah, there's a, a pile even of potential Carolyn jokes. Hello. Left to go. I am curious to see more about where Danny fits into the tribe, because I feel like as the idol holder... Out of all of the idol holders, I feel like we know the least about the dynamics. I mean, we got from Heidi that they're kind of number ones with each other. But I don't know how Josh... Josh seems to really be on the outs on this tribe for reasons I don't understand. Uh, except that maybe he's not as chatty as everybody else as I'm reading into it. Um, but I feel like for a tribe that went to tribal, I don't fully know how everybody feels about each other. And I... I'm looking forward to that because I do really, I find this tribe interesting in like a very normal people kind of way. Yes. I also think, and we talked about this last week, but like it was the best case scenario for this tribe to go um, because now we're moving into just less people within each tribe because, you know, thinking back uh, about season 41 uh, when we had Erica's tribe where they remained six for so long. And as a result, we got very little time with them. I feel like we're like, keeping things moving with all three tribes luckily which helps just in terms of the edit okay uh i did i did listen to i've caught up on jeff's podcast i'm actually enjoying it like i, I yeah. enjoy it. it it's it's not giving me anything that i didn't already know you know he's reaffirming his uh, love for our uh, advantage get in with sari going home and that that's what advantages are all about uh and uh, so there's you know there's some negatives there but I don't know. It's kind of nice to hear him talk off the cuff because we so rarely hear that. Um, so ch ch check that out if you want. If you want. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, with that, we are going to be putting up a picture on our Instagram to promote this episode, a screenshot from this episode at Drop Your Buffs Pod. And what will people be commenting under the picture? Oh, plant, plant, daddy, plant, plant, uh, lady, plant. So plant. Well, oh, actually, worm? you know what? What? There is a say? worm emoji. I feel like that's too obvious. Mm. So when you type in plant, it gives you two options. You're going to choose the potted plant. Actually, yes, yes. She did there's pot that pot it. Yeah. yeah. So let's do the potted plant. Bonus points if you want to include a lady. I'll leave the lady up to you. You can do the dancing lady. There's a lot of ladies on Instagram or on Moji. But bonus points if you want to include a lady. But just <laughs> mandatory assignment is the potted plant. There are a lot of ladies on Instagram. There's a lot of ladies. Have you seen them? 
Like, and they're not being voted out. <laughs> binders full of ladies on Instagram. Um, okay. No gender bias there. <laughs> okay. Well, with that, thank you so much for listening. You can find the links to our Patreon, a merch, etc. Uh, we will be running a merch contest very shortly because I have a package in the mail coming from Parvati of signed Black Widow Brigade t-shirts. So we're going to figure out how we're going to do that. Uh, stay tuned for that. Subscribe so you don't miss our upcoming episodes, the Australian Survivor recaps. If you're not watching that, you're missing a great season. And uh, stay tuned for more interviews. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.